All right, all right. Well, hey, it's good to uh, it's good to gather with you guys together this morning. Uh, I always enjoy our time together every week. Man, I love singing that hymn that we just sang in that last verse, that last line of that last verse. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. And what good lyrics, what good words for us to think about. Redeeming love has been my theme. The reality of the gospel in our life has been my theme and it shall be till I die. Man, that's gospel and that's mission. I hope that's true for us as a church. Man, if this is your first time gathering with us, we are grateful that you're here. Uh, we hope that we can get to know you and you can get to know us. Um, please feel free to come up and chat with me after the service. We'd love to help you get plugged in here into this community who is all about the gospel and all about Jesus. We're going to be in the Word again this morning, so if you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and we'll have somebody bring a Bible around to you, uh, and you can keep your hand up until they find you this morning, uh, so you can read along with us. You know, over these last five weeks, we have been spending a lot of time talking about what God has called us to do, to be on mission as His people. We've looked at the Scriptures, and God has called us to take the message of the Gospel to those who have not yet believed the Gospel. The gospel is what forms the church. The gospel is the foundation of the church. That's why we come back to it over and over and over again at Sojourn, because we want to make sure that we understand what it is that called us to be a family in the first place. We never move past that. The gospel makes us disciples of Jesus, and as disciples of Jesus, we are called by Jesus to go and make more disciples of Jesus with the same message of the gospel. Last week, we got very practical and we looked at Matthew chapter 5 and saw how Jesus calls us as citizens of his kingdom, citizens of the kingdom of God, to be salt and to be light, to be people who live with kingdom influence and make gospel proclamation while we exist in the here and now, waiting for Christ to return. If you didn't get to listen to that sermon, I'd really encourage you to go and do that sometime this week as we just challenged one another on what does it look like to see everyday life, every aspect of our everyday life as an opportunity for mission. Well, this week we're going to continue to talk practically about being on mission. And we're going to talk about an area of discipleship that I think oftentimes does not get addressed, it doesn't get dealt with, it's not talked about often within the church. But it's an area that I think is important for us as a church to consider, to look at, to evaluate in our own life if we are going to be disciples and become disciples who make more and more disciples. If we're going to be people who call Jesus or call people to Jesus and to follow Jesus as Lord of all things. We said last week that the church is the mission agency of God. The church is what God has ordained to be the ones that take the message of the gospel to people. And we said we should use everything we've been given to see the mission of God go forward and the kingdom of God advance for his glory. And so today, what we're going to talk about, what we're going to look at in scripture is we're going to talk about missional giving. Our money and our resources are our subjects, though, for honest, we don't like to spend a whole lot of time talking about. And I think there's a reason for that. But this sermon is not a sermon to guilt you into giving more. It's not to spend the next few minutes to tell you, man, you're doing a bad job at this and you need to do better at this. In fact, right now as a church, I would say that we're in a great place financially as a church. God has done amazing things in our church as a new church plant. So this this sermon is not about guilting you into giving. This sermon is about grace. It's about freedom. And so I want us to think about that as we look at the scriptures this morning to focus in on the grace of God. So let's go ahead and jump into the word this morning. 
We're going to see what the Apostle Paul has to tell us to help us to understand grace, to help us to understand giving and all of that in light of making more disciples as sent ones. And I'm hopeful for what God will do in your heart and in my heart today. So let's pray that he would do that work. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to gather together today and to continue on in this series, this sent series. And Lord, I know that you've been working in our midst. You've been doing things and challenging our hearts and our minds. You've been challenging the way we live our life as individuals and as a church to recognize that being called by Christ to go with the message of the gospel is not optional. But Lord, it's what you've called us to. It's wrapped up in being disciples of Jesus. So, Lord, as we open up your word again this morning, I pray that this would not be a topic that we look at this morning that goes in one ear and out the other. That, Lord, by your spirit, that you would help us to understand it, to be encouraged and challenged by it. Lord, so that you would get more glory in Fairfax. You would get more glory in Northern Virginia. You would get more glory all around the world as we take seriously what your word has to say to us today. So, Lord, we pray for your spirit to work. We pray for change and transformation to take place even here in this moment. And we want you to get the glory and praise for all of that. And so we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We'll go ahead and open up your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So we're going to be this morning. So you can flip over there to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And we will read the Apostle Paul's words to us today. Second Corinthians chapter eight, <clears throat> Paul is writing these two chapters in second Corinthians eight, really in chapter nine as well. And really, I think it gives us a good picture of what missional giving looks like, but as Paul gives an example to us of a church who's doing this, this is what Paul says, starting in verse one of chapter eight, we want you to know brothers about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Now, there's a lot going on in this text, a lot that Paul is communicating to us, and I, I think it's going to be helpful for us to look at his words here, really to the Corinthian church. And we can see that Paul's trying to challenge the Corinthians here, but as we look and kind of peer into this, that we should also be challenged by this. Now, if you know anything about the Corinthians, if you've read the, the letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, we know, man, the Corinthian church has a lot of issues. It has a lot of problems. And as we look at this here, it seems that another issue that they have is that they're not a generous people. They don't see any need to participate in giving financially to see the mission of God go forward. And so in order to challenge the Corinthian church, Paul uses an example of another church. 
In verse 1 and 2, he says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. Macedonia is another area where these churches are gathered together. He's saying, I want, to, I, want you to, I want you to hear about the grace of God as evidenced through this church and these churches in Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I love that Paul uses the Macedonian church here as an example because they're not some rock star church. They don't have a big building. They don't have lots of stuff. He says they have, really, they're an impoverished group of people. But man, I want to show you that they have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. He's speaking to the Corinthians, who are most likely a wealthy people, living in a wealthy city. And he speaks to us this morning as well. He says, look, what I want you to know, though, as we get started, as we get talking about this, what I want you to know about everything that I'm going to say, the first thing and the major thing I want you to know and focus on is the grace of God. I'm going to talk about giving. I'm going to talk about generosity, but do not disconnect that from God's grace. Don't see this as just some functional thing that the church has to deal with and disconnect it from the reality of the gospel, the reality of God's grace in your life. The Macedonian churches are extremely generous, Paul says. And their generosity is not about the amount of money that they have. It's not about the amount of money that they even give. It's about the source of and the motivation for their generosity. They give, Paul says, out of an abundance of joy, even in the midst of their physical poverty. They give out of an abundance of joy, not so that they'll receive some physical riches in return. So we have to ask, why are they joyful? What is this abundance of joy that they give out of? It clearly isn't that they have a lot. It isn't that life is easy. So what is it? Well, Paul is driving the Corinthians to that point. But again, we have to see that the main point in this example is that generosity is a demonstration of God's grace. He says, I want to tell you about God's grace that's been shown to us by the generosity of the Macedonians. Paul continues to show us how this is the case. In verses 3 through 5, he says, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Paul says their abundance of joy overflowed and a wealth of generosity. And what did this generosity look like? He says they gave according to their means. Actually, Paul says they gave him beyond their means. They were so excited to see the mission of God go forward, to participate in this, that they were giving away almost more than they even had to give away. He says they were begging to participate, begging Paul to participate in giving from the little that they had in order to serve the greater purpose of seeing the kingdom of God advance and the gospel go forward. And they did this on their own accord. By their own free will, by their own choice. No one forced them to do this. No one coerced them into doing this. No one guilted them into giving. They did it because they wanted to do it. They longed to do it. They saw it as their joy. They saw it as their privilege to give to the work of gospel ministry. Because I think the reality is what Paul says is they didn't just give of that. They also gave themselves completely to the Lord. The Macedonian church is a picture of a church who lives under the lordship of Jesus. We've said over and over again throughout this series that Jesus is the risen king. Jesus is Lord. And that changes everything for you. It changes everything for me. We cannot live life the same if we are under the lordship of Christ. 
Here we have this picture of this church, this Macedonian church who is living under the lordship of Christ. And that has literally changed everything for them. So Paul gives this example and then he shifts his focus back to the Corinthians. Verse 6, he says, accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. Paul says, look, I'm encouraging you by writing this letter to you, but we're also sending Titus to you because we want Titus to encourage you in this as well, to continue in this act of grace. We have to see here that Paul is connecting giving to being an act of grace. It's only possible because of grace. And then Paul gives his call to the Corinthians. He gives his call to them, and it's his call to us as well this morning. Verse 7, But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. The Corinthian church excelled in many things. They excelled in faith. They excelled in speech. They excelled in knowledge of God. They had a robust theology. They knew lots of things about God. But Paul earnestly calls them to also excel in another act of grace. Gospel generosity. Missional giving. Saying, look, I don't want you just to be about these things, but be about all that God has called us to, to see the gospel advance. Don't just be about head knowledge. Don't just be about what you know. Don't pride yourself on those things. Be a generous people. Be a generous people. And he says, excel in this. Giving for the sake of the gospel can be something we excel in. It's not a box to check. It's not Paul says, well, look, I just want you to give something to check your box off and move on. This is something we can always be growing in, always excelling in. Something we can surpass our previous, previous efforts in. Excel in the grace of giving is Paul's call to the Corinthians. And it's, it's God's call to us, to his people in verse 8, he says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Paul's heart is not to command the Corinthians to give. Paul's heart is not to command us to give, though he could do that as an apostle of Jesus Christ. But his heart is to compel us to give as an overflow of our love for God and our love for others. Giving is an act of grace. It's not about law. It's not about saying, well, what's the minimum I need to do? What's the, what's the bare bones that I need to do to be qualified as a, as a disciple, to be qualified as being living a righteous and holy life? That's not what Paul's saying. He doesn't even entertain that idea. He says, look, I want you to excel in this. Go, go hard after this. Be constantly thinking about how you can excel and grow in this. Just as you grow in your knowledge of God, grow also in your generosity. Grow also in your giving because you realize and understand the reality of the kingdom of God. And the need for more people to know Christ. But see, we don't only give for the sake of the gospel. God, Paul's not just calling us just to give for the sake of the gospel. To see the gospel grow and expand and advance all around the world. We also give because of the gospel. We give because of it. Verse 9, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Excel in this act of grace, he says in verse 8. But he says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Man, we have to get this. This is so important. This is so key for us to understand. This right here, verse 9, is why the Macedonian churches are overflowing in joy. They have so much joy, they're overflowing in a wealth of generosity. The reason for that is verse 9. 
Excel in the grace of giving, Paul says. Give out of your love for God and others, Paul says. Why do we do this? How do we do this? Because you know Christ. Because you have experienced the grace of God in and through Jesus. You know Jesus. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, who along with the Father and the Spirit created all things and now maintains and sustains all things. Jesus, the Son of God, who exists in the eternal glory of the Father and the Spirit, who owns all things, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He left all of those riches to come to us as one of us to rescue us. The Son of God, who had all things, humbled himself. He became poor. And for what purpose? Paul says, so that you might become rich. Now, this is not material wealth that he's talking about here. Any teaching or idea that says by knowing Jesus means that you're going to get hooked up with more things is a false gospel. It's a false gospel to say, look, all you need to do is follow Jesus and God wants to, he wants to bless you. He wants to just to give you more and more riches. That's not what's going on here. When he says that you've been made rich in Christ, he's talking about that you get Christ. You, you get to know the holy God of all creation. That's the richness that Paul's talking about here. Anything else that says something contrary to that is a false gospel. And the Macedonian church is a picture of that. They were in poverty, Paul says. Yet they have such joy because they know the richness that they've received. No, see, we're not made rich because of getting more material wealth. We are made rich because we were dead and made alive in Christ. We are made rich because we were orphans and now we're sons and daughters of God. We are made rich because we were not a people, but now we are a people. We were made rich because we were in bondage to sin and death and are now made free in Christ. We are made rich because we were citizens of the kingdom of darkness and have now been transferred and made citizens of the kingdom of God forever. And all this is because of what Christ has done for us. Jesus' poverty is that he set aside his eternal glory to take on the sin of the world by dying an undeserving death for an undeserving people. You, me, and God in that has lavished the riches of his grace on us through what Christ has done for us. If you know Christ this morning, it doesn't matter what you have in your bank account. If you know Christ this morning, it doesn't matter what kind of house you have, what kind of car you drive. Well, if you know Christ this morning, you have the riches of God. He's given himself to you through Christ's life, death, and resurrection. So we are made rich, not in money, not in possessions, Paul says, but in grace, in joy, in love, and in life. We have experienced and received the greatest treasure possible by knowing and following Jesus as Lord. See, I think what we need to see in this, what Paul's calling us to is, yes, we should give generously for the sake of the gospel, but we must also seek to be giving, get generously because of the gospel. Our generosity should be motivated by the gospel because it's the grace of God that turns selfish people into joyful givers. That's the reality for all of us. We all struggle with selfishness. We all want more to get more, to build up more for us. But when the gospel comes into our life, when Jesus is Lord, we open our hands up and say, God, do whatever you want with whatever you've given me. Because I realize you're my greatest treasure and I want other people to experience that as well. See, the humility of Christ destroys our self-centeredness. The humility of Christ destroys our self-focus. 
then it leads us to be others-focused. It leads us to be Christ-centered in all that we do. When the gospel takes root in our lives, we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for Christ. We follow Jesus as Lord, denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following him. The grace of Christ changes us. It changes us. And it dismantles any kind of idea, any kind of thought, that by acquiring more for me, by building bigger barns for me, by building our own personal kingdom, it destroys the idea that that is ever going to bring lasting joy or peace or comfort or security. Christ has come to set us free from those lies and to give us himself. Our greatest joy, our greatest peace, our greatest comfort, our greatest security is in knowing Jesus. So Paul's point then is that since we are made rich by Christ's grace, the appropriate response to that is gospel generosity. The appropriate response to that, response to that is missional giving because we recognize the freedom we have in Jesus. That we don't have to grasp for, for things in this life anymore because we've been given life through Christ. And now we can open our hands and open our lives so that more and more people might experience that same freedom in and through Jesus. We have received grace upon grace upon grace. So now we can excel in giving as an act of grace. We give because of the gospel and we give for the advancement of the gospel. Sojourn, this should be true for us if we are in Christ. If you are a follower of Christ, if you've been redeemed and reconciled to God, this should be true for you. We should be committed to gospel generosity and missional giving because we understand the gospel, because we understand the mission that's been given to us. See, I think when we exercise and live a life of gospel generosity, when we live a life of, that's focused on missional giving, that we, in those moments, are a whole lot like God. And I don't mean that in a way that we are becoming equal with God, but we are evidencing characteristics of God, which is what God wants to do in us to transform us to be more like him. And the reason I say that is because the most sacrificial, the most ridiculous act of missional giving is the father sending his son to us. The father sending his son to us, his greatest treasure to die as a substitute for rebellious sinners like you. And like me, listen, you cannot outgive what God has given to you in Christ. You can never do that. You can never outgive what God has given to you in Christ. Again, Paul's not writing this letter here to guilt the Corinthians into giving. He's not writing this letter to guilt us into giving, but he's writing it to show how magnificent how powerful and freeing grace is when we understand it and we allow it to take root in our lives and control everything about us, including our resources, including our finances. Paul continues to drive this point home in chapter 9. He says some other things after this point in chapter 8, but then he comes back to it again in chapter 9. So flip over there if you're still looking at your Bible to chapter 9. I just want to walk through these last few points here because I think it helps us to kind of put some handles on what he's saying here practically. In chapter 9, verse 6, Paul says, the point is this. Maybe we should pay attention to this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. It may sound confusing, but I think Paul tells us what he means in the next few verses. 
God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God gives you grace to do the work that he's called you to do. Jump down a verse. He says, he who supplies seed to the sower, bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And then get this. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. And this is a promise to us. This is a promise to us. It's not a promise to get rich. It's not a promise to make generous people wealthy. Again, that's a false teaching. That's a false gospel. If somebody says, look, all you need to do is sow some seed and then God's going to hook you up. It says he'll make you abound. You'll have bountiful Uh, supply that he'll give to you. That's not what this is about. What God is saying through Paul here is that the more you give, the more God will enable you to give. Maybe not always by giving you more, but by freeing you more and more from holding on to the things of this world. He is promising to make generous disciples capable of even greater generosity. And greater gospel generosity and missional giving always leads to an increase in the harvest of righteousness. That as we sow bountifully, we reap bountifully, not for ourselves, but we see more and more people come to understand the grace of God given in and through Christ. We use our resources to advance the kingdom of God so that the harvest of righteousness grows more and more. This is about gospel advancement. A pastor of a church in the Midwest says this, and I think this is so good for us to think about, especially in this area where so much of our world revolves around how much money we make. So much of our world revolves around what kind of job we get, what kind of bonus we receive. He says this as we think about God perhaps increasing our resources. If God increases our income, he's not putting his stamp of approval on a life of luxury. He is commissioning us to the exhilarating and joyful mission of tremendous and creative generosity. Make as much as you want and give as much as you can. See, the outcome of gospel generosity, the outcome of missional giving is that the needs of the saints are met, Paul says, and the gospel of Christ advances, Paul says. It brings about transformation in the lives of believers It also brings new life to those who haven't yet trusted in Christ, who haven't turned to Christ in faith. And ultimately, that leads to worship of God. Because we realize that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is his world, and he is calling people to himself. As we increase in our generosity, as we open our hands to see the mission of God go forward, God will be worshipped. When we sow abundantly, we reap abundantly. Not fruit for ourselves, not things for ourselves, but fruit for the kingdom of God. Now, I skipped over verse 7 in chapter 9. And I've skipped over it because I think Paul gets really practical here for us. In verse 7, he says this, Each one, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. If we give out of compulsion, if we give out of obligation... And not out of an overflow of grace, not out of our joy in Christ, not out of our love for the church and the advancement of the kingdom. It is not pleasing to God. God is not interested in you checking a box off. The, the giving out of what you have is not a way to you, for you to earn favor with God. 
God loves a cheerful giver. God is pleased by a cheerfulness, a worshipful attitude. Someone who gives willingly, joyfully, voluntarily, generously, and freely. And what we see in this is Paul says we should actually take time to think about what we give. We should take time to pray about what we give, asking the Spirit to guide us in that. I think sometimes when we think about giving, we get way too practical. We sit down and we look at a budget sheet and see, well, where do I have room? Where do I have margin to give? But Paul says nothing about that. He says, I want you to consider in your heart what you should give. I want you to come before the Lord on your own and contemplate what you should give to see the mission of God go forward. Notice Paul says, I want you to do this in your heart. Decide in your heart. Why does he say this? Why does he say the heart, not your mind? Why does he say the heart, not your budget? He says because the heart, he says this because the heart is the place of our worship. It's out of the heart that we worship different things. Jesus himself says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where we put our resources, everything that God has given to us, where we put that indicates what we worship the most, what we treasure the most. So this is a worship issue. This is a heart issue. And it's also an identity issue. We have to remember the reality of who we are in Christ. God has delivered us from the domain of darkness He's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The king has come and he is coming again. And he has commissioned us as his sent ones to go out, to be salt and light all around the world so that people might understand the grace of God offered to them. Everything we have then has been given to us by the king because it all belongs to him. Nothing you have is your own. You're a steward of everything. Your life, your possessions, everything. But he gives us those things to be used to make much of him, to advance his kingdom. But the problem for some of us, and probably if we're honest, it points all of us, is that we oftentimes profess with our lips that we are citizens of the kingdom of God. We profess with our mouths that we are committed to making much of the king. But how we use our resources betrays the fact that we are more concerned with building our own personal kingdom rather than God's. Are you using your resources like this place is your home or like you are a temporary resident who will spend an eternity in the new city? Where is your treasure right now? Is it being used for advancing the mission of God and his kingdom or your kingdom? Sojourn, this is not about building our church. And we're not sharing this today because this is about building our church. This is about being a part of Jesus building his church. His church, which is not made up of buildings, not made up of programs, but made up of blood-bought men and women who have been saved and are now being sent to make more disciples by the power of the resurrection and the help of the Holy Spirit. This is about calling us to participate in the mission of God. If the gospel changes everything for you, if it changes everything for you, if the fact that Jesus is Lord changes everything for you, then it certainly impacts what God's given to you, your resources, your time, all of those things. Gospel generosity and missional giving is about leveraging everything we've been given for the advancement of the kingdom, advancement of the gospel. So sojourn, let's be about investing in the kingdom of God and not in our kingdom of self. I want us to be a church that's marked by gospel generosity. 
I want us to be a church that is marked by missional giving because we know the gospel, because we understand the reality of God's grace in our life, and we understand the mission that he's given us to go make much of him. So what does this look like practically? How can we move forward in doing this? Well, let me first say this. Whether you are a person who has been faithfully giving to the mission of God for some time, maybe God's already been teaching you these things. Maybe you have been doing this and you've been giving willingly and joyfully and sacrificially. You see everything that you have as, an, as resources to advance the kingdom of God. Or maybe you're sitting here this morning and you've never given a single thing to see the gospel, the gospel advance. No matter where you're at on that spectrum, I just want to encourage you to listen to evaluate, because remember, Paul says we should excel in the grace of giving. We don't just get to a place and say, I think I'm good. And we should always be thinking, as a pastor friend of mine says, we should always be scheming for the kingdom of God. Do you scheme for the kingdom of God? Do you sit and think about everything that God's given to you and think, man, how can I use this to see the kingdom of God advance? God, help me to think creatively. Help me to use these things creatively. And faithfully see the gospel go forward. So because this is a heart issue, because this is an identity issue, I want us to start there. The first thing I think we can do if we want to be people who are marked by gospel generosity and missional giving is we need to look at the kingdom. We need to look at the kingdom. If we understand that the king has come and is coming again, and until he does, we are called to be salt and light for his glory and the good of others. Then again, every aspect of our life should indicate that that's true. Remember Jesus' words, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow him. But as we look at the kingdom and we see the reality of the fact that Jesus is king and that we are now citizens of his kingdom, following him in that way, we should also look at our own heart and our own life. We should look at our own heart and our own life and see, is there disparity or congruency between those two things? When I look at my own heart and my own life, do I see that it looks and and, and indicates the fact that I am a citizen of the kingdom of God, that I desire to follow my king and do everything for the sake of making his name known? Or is there disparity between the reality of my heart, the reality of how I live my life? Another pastor of a church in the East Coast says something challenging that I want us to consider this morning. It's a long quote, but I think it's helpful for us. He says, the Bible talks about money 20 or 30 times more than it talks about sex. Why? Because money's spiritual power blinds us to itself. When people are committing adultery, they know they're doing it. But hardly anyone who loves money too much knows that they do. People are always confessing sexual sins, but almost no one says, I'm materialistic. I'm greedy. If the Bible continually warns us about the danger of materialism, yet almost no one thinks they're guilty of it, then it means a great number of people are blinded to and by the power of money in their lives. The only responsible thing to do is go on the working hypothesis that we are infected by materialism and must be on the watch for it. If materialism is that insidious and stupefying, it's a lot like alcoholism. Maybe the clearest sign of materialism is this. You aren't willing to even admit the possibility that you're enslaved to greed. Man, those are challenging words for us this morning. 
But man, what does your heart and what does your life indicate about that being true? Are you enslaved to the things of this world? Paul addresses the Corinthians' heart and he does so with the gospel. He says, look, if you don't want to give, if you're not desiring to open up everything that God's given to you to see the the gospel advance, then I don't think you really understand the gospel of grace. I don't think you understand your identity in Christ. I don't think you understand what Christ has actually done for you. Maybe for some of you, you are more concerned about saving up for your personal future and security because you don't trust that Jesus is Lord. Now I'm saying you can, you just are irresponsible about things. Maybe you're, you're so much more concerned about building bigger barns for yourself because the reality is you don't trust that Jesus is Lord. Man, that can be a challenge for me. I get concerned about how much money is in a savings account, how much money is in a retirement account. Instead of saying, God, what can I do? What can I do with these things to use them for the advancement of your kingdom? Maybe you're seeking approval or satisfaction from people or things from needing to maintain a certain kind of lifestyle because you're not secure in your own identity in Christ as a citizen of the kingdom of God. Maybe for some of you, this is not an, an issue of irresponsibility, but it's an issue of a lack of faith. Not trusting God with what he's given to you, thinking that this is yours, it all belongs to you, that you're in charge. And I encourage you, no matter where you're at with this in your life right now, that as you look at, at your heart, as you look at your life in comparison with the kingdom of God, that if you need to, that you would repent. That you would bring this before the Lord and, and confess this before him and ask for forgiveness and turn away from that. But here's the deal. As one pastor says, no matter what, in order to become a gracious, generous person, don't sit down with the calculator. Look at the cross. And this morning, what I'm encouraging you to do is not to sit down and just go home and figure out budget stuff for yourself. Look to the cross first. Look to the grace that God's given to you. This is what Paul is calling the Corinthians to do. The gospel is where we look. The gospel is what we preach to our own heart to become missional givers. So as we look at the kingdom, as we look at our heart and our life, we must also look to grace. We have to come back to grace. The motivation for our giving, the ability to be generous is always and only because of the grace that we've received. When we come back to the gospel, we rest in the death of Christ for us and the freedom Christ has given to us. He became poor so that you can become rich. See, excelling in the grace of giving is evidence of the power of the gospel in your life. Excelling in the grace of giving, being gospel generous, being a missional giver is evidence of the power of the gospel in the life. Because as the gospel takes root in your life, it crushes the the idols of your life. Realizing, man, my worship is on God. It's not on the things of this world. We have freedom through Christ. Gospel generosity and missional giving flows from changed lives and it changes people's lives. It it changes your life as you give willingly, cheerfully, voluntarily, joyfully. But it also changes the lives of those who benefit from the mission of God going forward. So look at the kingdom. Look at your heart and life. Look to grace. And I also want to call you to look to your community. We should help each other with this. If we are a gospel community, and this is a gospel issue, why would we not involve our community in helping us to think about these things? Why would we not involve our community to challenge us to excel in gospel generosity and missional giving? 
I think there's a lot of things in the church that we don't like to talk about. The two main things I think we don't like to talk about most often is our finances and parenting. Might that reveal something about what the most significant idols in our life actually are? As that pastor said, we are much more willing to confess sexual sin, but we're never willing to open up our budget and say, hey, friend, would you look at this brother, sister? Would you help me to see, man, am I honoring the Lord with what he's given to me? Would you hold me accountable to doing that? And we should help each other to do this, not to be the generosity police, not to be the giving police, but because we want to see people experience the freedom that, God, that God's given to us in Christ, experience the grace that God's given to us in Christ and open up our lives to see the gospel advance. We should involve our community in that. That's what Paul's doing. He's writing himself to encourage the Corinthians. He's sending Titus to encourage them. We are a family together. So let's encourage and challenge one another to excel in this act of grace also. So look at the kingdom. Look at your heart and your life. Look to grace. Look to your community. And the final thing I want to call you to is I want to call you to give. I want to call you to actual gospel generosity and missional giving. I want to call you to be a cheerful giver who is scheming for the kingdom of God. As sent ones, we should be joyfully looking to give sacrificially for the advancement of the gospel of grace because we've understood and received that grace. In our gospel generosity, our missional giving should manifest itself in giving the majority of and primarily to the local church. Now, why is that? Why should we give the majority of and primarily to the local church? Because Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10 that the local church is what God has ordained as the ones who take the gospel to the nations. To make him known, to make the manifold wisdom of God known. We are the mission agency of God. So we should give primarily and the majority of that to and through the local church so that we can see the local church function in the way it's supposed to, to take the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Sojourn Church is a church plant. We started gathering together as a church about a year and a half ago. Actually, this, this weekend today is a year and a half exactly for us as a church gathering together. And man, God has done some crazy things, some awesome things over this last year and a half the reason that we are able to gather here this morning is because we had many faithful brothers and sisters and faithful churches supporting us financially. They said, man, I want to see the gospel advance in Fairfax. I want to see the gospel advance in Northern Virginia. And so I'm going to give cheerfully. I'm going to give voluntarily to see that happen. Right now as a church, just to get really practical with you, is it, the reality is, is about 30% of our budget right now comes from still people outside of Sojourn Church. There are people right now that are writing checks every month, that are sending things in every month because they desire for you to grow in the gospel. Because they love you, they care about you, and they love this area. And man, we praise God for that. That's what we want to be about as a church. We want to see more and more churches planted. And so we're thankful that other people wanted to see Sojourn Church planted and started. Many of you are giving faithfully and sacrificially and joyfully. And we praise God for that. Where we are as a church right now financially is crazy. When we think about the fact that we're only a year and a half into this gathering as a church and we look at that, man, we should praise God for that. He has done a mighty work through us. And so, like I said, this is not about saying, man, we're desperate for money right now. Would you just give a little bit more? That's not what this is about. But man, if we could continue to excel in the grace of giving, 
If we would become a generous people who give generously out of the abundance of grace we've been given, then I believe not only will we become financially self-sustaining as a church sooner rather than later, but as we do that, we free up all those resources. That 30% of our budget is coming in from other places right now. We free up all of those resources for all of those people in all of those churches to use to see more churches planted and the gospel advanced in other places. But more than that, I want to call us to give generously. I want, I want us to call us to a, have a mission mindset with our finances, not simply so we are financially self-sustaining, but so that we are using more and more of our resources to see the gospel advance, seeing more and more of our resources going to planting more churches, to serving more people and reaching more people with the gospel. I believe that every dollar of our budget is used for the sake of mission. See, it's used to see the mission of God go forward, whether that's paying for a salary or paying for the rent for us to meet in this elementary school or paying for the kids curriculum that we use to continue to tell the story of grace to our kids, to supporting church plants and missionaries locally and globally. Every dollar that's a part of our budget is for the sake of the mission of God. But I want to see that continue to increase. Not again so that we can build our church, but so that we can be a part of advancing Jesus's church. By being a part of making disciples who know the gospel, who live out the implications of the gospel and share the message of the gospel. Now, as a quick side note, just practically, a lot of people ask in membership classes and other times, well, man, how am I supposed to figure this out? Am I supposed to tithe? Now, the tithe principle is the idea of giving 10% of your income away. We see that Paul doesn't say anything about that. What does he say? He says, excel in the grace of giving. Scheme for the kingdom of God. Always be thinking about how you can do more and more to see the gospel advance. But what I think we can do with that tithe, that tithe idea that comes from the Old Testament, is we can use it as a starting point. Because the reality is for most of us, giving 10% of our income away is going to be sacrificial. So starting there and saying, God, would you help me to do that? Would you help me to give generously out of what you've given to me. Now, for some of you, giving 10% is not giving sacrificially, and so I'd encourage you to give more. Remember what Paul says, each of you must decide in your own heart what to do. And maybe for some of you, 10% is, is going to be too much for you right now, but would you take time to consider it? Take time to pray. Always be looking to invest more and more into the things of God for his glory. Now, if you're not a follower of Christ, I don't want you to give money. If you don't know Jesus, I don't want you to give money because as I've said, we are called as the people of God to give not out of compulsion, but out of grace. And if you haven't yet experienced the grace of God in Christ, we don't want you to give money. We don't want you to give resources. We want you to take Christ to experience the riches of his grace. And so if you don't yet know Christ, if you're still figuring out what it means to know Jesus, to follow Jesus, then then continue to do that. We want to journey with you in that. This is not a call to you. This is a call to the family of God. We want you to experience the riches of Christ's grace. Giving and being generous never earns favor with God. But as we receive the favor from God through Christ, this should be an overflow of our lives. Sojourn, God has given us all of our all all of us resources, no matter how much you have. And he's given us those resources to spread his fame and advance his kingdom. Man, we should see that as a joy, a privilege that we get to be a part of that. 
Another pastor says it this way. We are not forced by God to give away our resources. We are freed by God to give away our resources. As citizens of the kingdom of God, we are no longer enslaved to materialism. We're no longer enslaved to the self-focus of the kingdom of self. We are free in Christ because we've received unimaginable grace through him. So let's walk in obedience together. Let's be committed because of the grace we've received to give creatively, joyfully, willingly, in an excelling fashion for the glory of God and the good of others. We're going to come forward now to take communion. And we should be reminded every week as we come forward what Christ gave for us. Though he was rich, he became poor so that you might be rich. He gave his body so that you might be reconciled to God. He shed his blood so that you could be washed clean and made new. He bore your sins so that you might be free from the kingdom of self and made heirs of the kingdom of God. As you eat the bread and drink the cup this morning, may you be renewed in your spirit by the spirit. Grace upon grace upon grace has been given to you. The love of the father has been lavished on you. By grace, you have been saved. So walk now in that grace, seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. And if you're not a follower of Christ, we would just encourage you not to come forward to take communion. Because for us, this is a declaration that Jesus is Lord and we are desperate for his grace. And so if you don't yet know Christ, I just want to encourage you to sit in your seat and pray and ask God to reveal himself to you so that you could experience the riches of his grace. Those of you that will come forward, come forward when you're ready. You can tear off a piece of the bread and take a small cup. And what Jesus has done for you will be spoken over you. And you can take it immediately or when you get back to your seat. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your word this morning. Lord, that you have blessed us richly in Christ. So Lord, I just pray that you would help us to rest in that. I pray that you'd help us to realize the amazing gift we have in Christ, the riches of your grace that you've poured out on us, you've lavished on us in Jesus. And Lord, as we reflect on that, I pray that you would make us a generous people. Free us, Lord, from materialism. Free us from our self-focus. Lord, help us not to be building a kingdom for ourselves, but Lord, help us to make much of you because we have been given much. Lord, we desire to be a people who are marked by gospel generosity. We desire to be a people who are marked by missional giving. Lord, because we want to see the kingdom of God advance. We want to see more and more people come to know you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to consider in our hearts what you're calling us to do. Help us, Lord, to have open hands, to trust you, to follow you faithfully, no matter what you call us to do, because we care about your glory more than anything else. Lord, we thank you that you have blessed us richly in Christ. We rest in that grace this morning, and we pray all this in his name. Amen.